0: Let's thank God for Pastor Jeff and his daughter Jillian. Jillian, listen, it's really a pleasure to me because Pastor Jeff used to be on staff. He used to be one of the pastors in the church that I had. And it's so great for me to be able to keep relationships with pastors that I've been there. And I've watched their children grow up and serve God. How many of you know that that's great? Speaking of that... Speaking of that, I got, an, I got an email this week from Pastor Ricky Hall. I may remember him? He was also a music pastor. He has a son. His name is Aaron, and uh, he was my, uh, Ricky was my music pastor. and I found out that Aaron has been signed by, not- by excuse me, by Penn State to play football, and so I'm really excited about that. So uh, he's a big boy, he's 16, and I think he's 6'6 and 280 pounds. So uh, I can't wait for Penn State football now. All right. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts. What a pleasure it is to be here tonight, just exciting to see your your desire for God's Word. We're on week 21, and I want to give you a little bit of a review. Sometime, we're going through this, it's, I told you, it's like a drama. It's one, it's one scene after another. It's almost a series, one after another, and it's just playing out that way. It is a storyline that tells us about the, uh, the early church, and so I want to give you a pretty good, uh, concise understanding of where we've been so far in Acts, a little review and a little timeline, if you will, uh, some of the things that you've already seen. Uh, the command of Jesus right before he ascends on Mount of, on the Mount of Olives is a very powerful command. He says something to the disciples. They go to the Mount of Olives, which is only about uh, six miles away, three to six miles away, depending where it was, uh, from the from Jerusalem proper. And he says something to them. He gives them a command right before he ascends in front of them. That command is found in Acts chapter 1, which is really the start of Acts. It says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Mary and into all the uttermost parts of the earth. Now it's important for us to read that now because we've gone so far uh, in Acts and we've seen some things happen. When he says this to the disciples, none of them want to receive anything. Uh, They just want to go back and huddle in a room and they're afraid that they're going to be the next one that's going to be killed. They are huddled in that room for almost 10 days. They don't want to show their faces because they know that they're going to be killed. They are extremely afraid, so much so that even at the Garden of Gethsemane they run away. Peter falls far off. They're afraid that they're going to be killed also. Something has transformed them though and we know that. We know that something is going on. We understand that they were to do this after the Holy Spirit descended upon them in the upper room. So obviously their boldness came from this act. The Holy Spirit comes down in 120. He descends upon them and basically almost immediately they begin preaching. Almost immediately. They go right out and they start to preach. They're in the. the Peter starts to take the lead and he preaches and 3,000 people get saved in one day. By, by a week's time there's, there's about 1,000 people have joined the church. Then, uh, in just a regular day, they're going through the routine, and they're very bold. They're they're now not in an upper room anymore, huddled together, but they're in mass going to the temple, to the place where the Jews worship, and they're going there. And by the way, let me remind you, this is still the Passover holiday, even though the Passover has passed. Uh, we there will stay there probably another couple months. People from all over the world, so Jerusalem is still swelled, and so Peter is now making his move. He is he is fired up by the Holy Spirit. So are the other d- disciples. And And they are going out and they are witnessing. It doesn't matter to them that they could be killed. They're witnessing so much. The first thing he does on his way to to teach and preach, he he passes by the gate called Beautiful and the Hulda Gates, uh, which is the entrance into Solomon's Solomon's porch, entrance into the temple. There's a man that's been laid there from his mother's womb. He's a cripple. And everyone knows this man. Everyone has to pass by this man to get into the temple. And Peter and John heal through the name of Jesus Christ, heal this, this one at the Gate Beautiful. Well, obviously it spreads quickly because he goes into the temple, the lame man. Let me remind you that in Judaism, the lame were not allowed in the, on the Temple Mount or in the temple. So this is a great this causes a great stir. And they are, so they are quickly arrested uh, and they are told not to do this again. The Sanhedrin convenes, they take Peter and John and the lame man, and instead of thanking God that he's now healed, they tell them, they warn them specifically not to do this. I've told you enough down through the down through these teachings to let you know that the Sanhedrin has a high priest. His name is Caiaphas. He's a Sadducee. He does not believe in the resurrection. He doesn't believe in angels. Let me tell you what Sadducee believed in. They believed in the holy dollar. They had most of the land in there. In there, They were in collusion with Rome. They were getting money back and forth from temple, from the from, from the uh, sacrifices in the temple, from the exchanging of money. It's why Jesus, why Jesus overthrew the money changes? why they hated him so much. Caiaphas is the ruler of the Sanhedrin with a whole lot of influence over the entire Sanhedrin. So they pull them in and they warn them. They tell them, you better not do this in, in, in this name anymore. It won't even say Jesus' name. You better not do this in this name anymore. And so they give them a stern warning and obviously they want to stop them because they're losing revenue. They're losing, they're losing people. There's 8,000 people that have joined the church at this point. How many are still with me? Yeah. Alright, so, as we go on, listen. Undaunted they continue teaching and preaching. They said, we can't listen to men. We're going to listen to God. That's a pretty good statement. And, uh, they're, they're, they're so they start healing right and, right under them, preaching and teaching right under the Pharisees and the Sadducees' noses, right in their front yard, if you will, not in their backyard, in Solomon's porch on the Temple Mount. I told you about that porch. So they go back there and they start teaching again. So as you're continuing to understand this scenario, then there, then this happens the grim tale of Ananias and Sapphira, and a holy fear comes on all the people, because people are joining the church. A holy fear comes on all the people, and the Bible says, that doesn't no one durst join the church, and then right after that it says, and multitudes join the church. Well, the unbelievers were trying to join something that was a movement, but they really didn't have it in their hearts. But believers knew, and uh, we know that the church was revered at this time. So, what happens, they continue, now the unbelievers are afraid to join the church, but believers are being multiplied daily, almost 10,000, three weeks after Pentecost. And they're arrested, and so Peter and, and John uh, and the rest of the disciples are arrested again. They keep arresting them and they hold them in stocks. The body is now called the church, Acts chapter 5, Ecclesia, uh, which means the called ones, the, the called out ones of the of the world and it's continuing to grow. And threatened, uh, the, they're threatened by the Sanhedrin again, fueled by the high priest and the Sadducees. They arrest them for a third time and hold them fast in jail, uh, desiring in the morning to send them to their execution. Interesting to me because they didn't wait for a morning for Jesus. They gave him a night trial. Illegal. But the people now are putting a pressure on them. Now you can start seeing they're not just they're not just running a uh, running, uh, slip shot over everyone. Now they're realizing that they, when they arrested them, they were afraid they were going to get stoned by the people. Now they're taking their time. They're doing everything by the letter. But trust me, they want to kill them. Every single one of them. And so they're arrested for the third time. And they're, and they're looking to send them to their execution in the morning. All 12 of them, Matthias taking Judas' place. But supernaturally, an angel releases them from the prison. Prison and shuts the prison door and locks it right under the guards' noses. We talked about it last week. And basically he does something. They disappear. Whether we understand that or not, they disappear. They didn't have any idea where they went. Lo and behold, we know exactly where they went. They go right back to the temple and they start teaching and preaching again. Man, you've got to love this account. You've got to love the tenacity of these men. Something happened. Uh, and remember, this is all being done in Jerusalem. Remember Jesus' command. I want, you to, I want you to, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. After this, I want you to go out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the other most parts of the world. Well, So far, all they're at is in Jerusalem. So this is just happening right now in Jerusalem. Acts will continue and take us to the rest of the world. But imagine this fire, imagine this, this, uh, this uh, area of fire. This is ground zero for the church. The Jerusalem church, Jerusalem church is the church ground zero. It's where, the, it's where every part of the church came from. It's pretty exciting. But by Acts chapter 5, we are deep in what the, the angel calls this life. Look at Acts 1.8 now again. 1, eight says, you shall receive power. And it says, after this you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Stop right there. That's where we're at in Acts chapter 5. Uh, we are only in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, we're deep into the what the angel called, go and talk about this life. He says this in 520. Go stand and speak in the temple. Let's command to them. They are not going to stop standing in that temple. It doesn't matter how many times they arrest them. It doesn't matter how many times they threaten them. They trust the angel. They're going to stand right there, and they're going to teach. So you can arrest them, beat them. You can take them and, and do whatever you want. Flog them. When you let them go, they're going right back to the temple to, to teach. So the angel tells us that this is what's happening. They're liberated for life. Acts chapter 5 verse 17. We talked about that two weeks ago. They were on trial for life. Acts chapter 5 verse 22 to 33 last week. And tonight we're going to talk about the surprises of life as we close out Acts chapter 5. So the surprises of life. How many of have ever been surprised by life? How many of you ever been surprised by life? So the surprises of life. I want you to understand what that means, okay? Which brings us to our study tonight. The surprises of life. The amazing surprises of life. I should call it the amazing surprise of life. Look, the disciples at this point are going to their deaths. And I promise you, they will all die this time. I promise you, this is what the intention of the Sanhedrin is. So let me start off by making a true statement very clear. And I'm going to quote myself. That's kind of egotistical, isn't it? But I made this quote the other day, and I thought, well, I'm going to put this in a quote, and I'm going to send it to you, show it to you. So, amazing surprise of life. When obedience to the Lord is the real cause of our troubles in life, we can expect the amazing, unexpected surprises of the Holy Spirit to change our impossible situations. If you are doing the work of the Lord, now some of our troubles, uh, you're not going to have the Lord, you're going to you're gonna have to live out your trouble. How many of you know that? Somebody say amen. Yeah. But some of our troubles are a direct attack from the enemy. And if it's a direct attack from the enemy, get ready, because God will give you surprises through the Holy Spirit. He will bring you through. Listen, there was an attack on my life with cancer. It was from the enemy. I knew it was from the enemy. It wasn't anything I did. I knew it was from the enemy. And God surprised me. He surprised the doctors. I lived when they told me I was going to die. I've been alive now, how many years? Eight years uh, since since I was diagnosed to only live seven months. It's a great surprise of life. I'm happy for that surprise. Somebody say amen. So there are surprises in life. And that's exactly what happens that day before the Sanhedrin, who were agreed in counsel to kill them in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. Here's what they said. They said, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And so they're trying to kill them. So watch the amazing ability of the Holy Spirit. So they're now back in. They took them again. Even though they were been, uh, they've been released. They took them again. They bring them back to the Sanhedrin. And watch the amazing ability of the Holy Spirit to surprise everyone and turn their situation around. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, let's read it. It says, Then stood there up one in the council of Pharisee, named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had a reputation among the people and commanded to, to put the apostles forth a little space. Leave them, put them out of the room for a second. And he said unto them, these are the rest of the Sanhedrin, new men of Israel, he's addressing the Sanhedrin, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. He's given us a history here that we don't, we don't normally get. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas the Gal- of Galilee in the days of the taxing. That's when Serenius taxed all of Israel. It says, and drew away much, much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So, Gamaliel gets up and he addresses the council. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Who would have ever guessed, this is amazing, who would have ever guessed that the entire council would be discouraged, you'll read it later, we will, from putting the disciples to death by one of their own. And not even a Sadducee, a Pharisee. The Sadducees didn't like Pharisees. But this Pharisee stands up and he's going to discourage them from putting them to death. He single-handedly is going to stop the Sanhedrin from putting them to death. And not just a rank-and-file Pharisee, no. This was an esteemed, renowned Pharisee named Gamaliel. Gamaliel holds the reputation even today by Jews, of, uh, he's mentioned in the Mishnah, which is their written oral tradition of the Jews, as being one of the greatest teachers in the annals of Judaism of all time. He's also mentioned in the Jewish Talmud, which is the Jewish holy book of instructions to the Jews. Two Mishnah accounts relating to Gamaliel say this, quote, Since Rabbi Gamaliel, the elder, died, there has been no more uh, influence for, no more love for the law and purity. And piety died at the same time, end of quote. And then this quote, Uh, the king, that's Herod, the grip of the first, and the queen, his wife was Syros, asked for his advice, Gamaliel's, about rituals. So this man was extremely well known. He was very popular. He was very wise. He was the greatest teacher of Israel at that time. Gamaliel. This is his picture that's put on the Talmud that you can find today. You can find Talmuds that are illustrated. You will see Gamaliel's picture on it like that. So he is very, very revered. If you went to Israel today, and you went to a Hasidic community, and you went into that community and you looked at their books, they're going to have pictures of Gamaliel. He, they, this man is extremely revered, and he's from Jesus' day. He lived, he was a contemporary of Jesus. Now, Hasidic Jews today, uh, basically, the, well, let me give you, before I give you that, he was the great greatest teacher of Israel at the time. And for, for a long time, for even till now, the, he's the grandson of another famous Hebrew scholar, Hillel, and was head of the school of the for the training of the conservative segment of the Jewish religion called Phariseeism. Now let me put it in modern terms. The movement was a populist movement. How many of you know that we've been watching a populist movement go all around the world right now? Donald Trump was hired because of, because and elected because of a populist movement, because we wanted the people, a popular movement. Uh, so we're seeing that in America today. And uh, recall, he was recalling Israel back to strict nationalism and, and the Torah to protect the law from being polluted and perverted by secularism. Boys, that sound like today. And to present this, preserve the strictest of moral resolutions. The Hasidim today, these men, are a direct result of Gamaliel and Hillel's teaching. They live in Israel. They are opposed to anything secular in Israel. They want the temple, ma- temple rebuilt. They are the ones that follow the law. They follow, follow 618 strict laws. They wear their hair long because it says in, 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 the, in the Torah. They have curls because it says not to cut the, the sides of your hair in the Torah. They wear a talip because it says to wear in the, in the Torah, in the Old Testament. It's in your Bible. And so they follow all of it because they want to bring Israel back to the, to the Bible, back to God. Now, yes, they have some problems but these are a direct result of gamaliel and hillel's teaching these are pharisees today the sadducees are actually pharisees today so he gives counsel gamaliel does to the sanhedrin and he says it can be summed up in two words here's what he tells them calm down guys calm down something's not right here just let these guys go outside when they when they're out of the sanhedrin when they're out of the hall he looks at the the sanhedrin he says this is calm down Relax. These guys are furious. We read scriptures last week that says they're furious. In today's today's world, this is what he would have said to them. Chill out, guys. What are you doing? And then he gives them some amazing logic. It's spiritual logic. And he kind of lays this logic on it. It's really pretty amazing. Those words today that Gamaliel would have told them would have been, Hey, guys, chill out. Listen is what he says in Acts 5.35. And he said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What you intend to do is touching these men. He knows that they're going to kill them. Now here's what they're going to do. They're going to drop charges on them. Those charges are going to be treasonous, and they're going to be blasphemous charges. We just talked about blasphemy laws. They're going to bring them to Pilate. They're going to coerce Pilate to kill them. Pilate's going to wash his hands again. Let me tell you why. Because they're in cahoots with Pilate. Pilate's getting a kickback from them. He, he, they are, there's money going back and forth from them. So Pilate's going to let them do what they want to do. Now Pilate's only thing Pilate is going to be uh, have a problem with is the fact that he has to report to Caesar. And Caesar doesn't want any insurrection. It's the Pax Roman, the Peace of Rome. But if Pilate says, listen, they've gathered 10,000 people together, so they had to be taken care of. So I want you to see what they're doing. Now uh, Acts 5.35, let me show it to you in the um, New International Revised Version. It says this, "Then Gamaliel spoke to the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, he said, think carefully about what you plan to do to these men. He says, you cannot knee-jerk react here. You have to think of what you're going to do. Then he reminds them and gives us a, a valuable insight to the messianic apocalyptic atmosphere in the first century in Israel. Jesus actually said that there'd be many Christ that would come. And he tells us about two that two guys that, that were almost like Messiahs to Israel that lived during the time of Jesus. This is kind of amazing to me. Uh, one of them lived right when Jesus was born, but another one lived during Jesus' time. These were vying for people to come onto their side looking to liberate them. We would never know these names and what they claimed to do if it was not for Gamaliel. And so doing, historians from the first century started to follow these men and started to keep their memories alive because Glamaliel said something about them. The first one he tells us about is this. He says, "For before these days rose up Thutis, before the days, before 29 AD, boasting himself to be somebody. That means he's, he's, he's saying that he's the Messiah. That's what that means. And uh, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. We don't know how many women. Who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. Let me tell you what this guy did. History does tell us about it. In the first, he's a first-century zealot who held a revolt against the Roman occupation. And uh, basically, he did it in 28 A.D. Uh, they killed him. They cut off his head, and they brought it to Jerusalem and they mounted it right in front of the Stephen Saint Stephen's Gate, so that everybody that came in and saw, out of that gate saw this man's head. This is what they did to a messiah because he led an insurrection it was against rome rome doesn't have to go through the sanhedrin to kill someone rome actually crucified him first outside cut his head off and put it on a stick on a stake so he's and so gamaliel says remember this guy Remember how he went against Rome and basically what they did to him? He says, you better be really careful here because, well, I won't finish it. He also says about Judas of Galilee. Judas of Galilee was a Jewish leader who led a resistance to the census imposed by Caesar Augustus. It's the same census that sent Joseph to Bethlehem with Mary, pregnant Mary and, and Jesus before he was born in 4 BC. Everyone had to be taxed, which, again, sent them to Bethlehem. Well, what he did, Judas of Galilee did this. He encouraged Jews not to register, not to leave their, their homes to stay put. And those that did register, he and his men had their homes burnt, and, they, and they, uh, they killed all their cattle. Well, what happened was Rome quickly did something with them. He killed him, and basically all of his followers scattered. So Gamaliel reminds them. He says, You guys better be careful. This man of Galilee, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. So we see these guys coming up and there's insurrection. These are two of the more noted ones uh, during Jesus' time. One's right where he's born and another one that's his contemporary. So Gamaliel stands up and says, hold on, guys. Remember what happened to these men. And then he's he's going to make some point here. It's an amazing counsel. Listen to what he says. So Gamaliel reminds them, be careful, which leads him to his main point and his main logic. And here's what he says to them. And now you refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to nothing. It will come to nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Man, that is powerful. That is powerful 2,000 years ago. That's powerful today. If this is of God, leave it alone. Leave them alone. If it's of God, you'll see it happen. If it's not, nothing will happen from it. Man, we should hear that counsel today, should we not? Listen. Very wise counsel, not only for Sanhedrin 2,000 years ago, for us, but for us today. Okay, here is the amazing truth for us tonight. There are times when certain people and causes are so obviously a contradiction to the Word of God that we know they're not of Him. There are times that we know that. I have seen so, much, so many movements come through Christianity that I knew were not of God. People followed them because people love to follow something new. Come on, somebody say amen. But I would sit back and, no, they were not of God. And I can name you probably six that I know of just offhand, just in the last 10 years. Movements that were unscriptural. Christian, but unscriptural. Movements in America, especially, that were unscriptural. And people followed them, and they're still following them, some people. Some new thing that is definitely not of God. My idea of it, when people come to me, they ask me my opinion, I say it's not scriptural. They say, what are we going to do about it? I say nothing. If it's of God, I say the same thing Emmanuel said. You will see it burn out if it's not of God. If it's of God, it's going to be here. So, however, there are other times when there may be great truths packed in new methods which we are not familiar with, but are of God. We must be very, very careful. Just because something is packaged in a certain way, if we don't, if we don't accept it just because we don't like to accept it, we better be careful because if it's of God, you're resisting God. How many are with me? You know, Christianity goes through a lot of changes. Some of those changes may be from God. The doctrine should never change, but styles change. I'm getting a couple of amens on that one. Styles change, you know, and you got to be very careful. If it's of God, you got to be very, very careful. If it's if it's not of God, it'll come to that to not. But if it's of God, then you better be careful not to go against it. That's what is saying. He's saying you guys don't know. If this is of God, you're not going to, you can't fight this because you'd be fighting God Himself. If it's not of God, it's going it's to burn out. It's good stuff, isn't it? New methods. So, so wait. He says, he, the, here's his counsel. Just chill out. Just wait. Let this thing burn out. And if it doesn't burn out, then this is of God. He says, if they are of God, you will never be able to stop them. If not, they'll fail anyhow. So, here's what's even more amazing, to me anyway. Acts 5.40. It says, and to him they agreed. This council, just a couple of verses before, were furious. They want to kill this, these, the disciples. They want to take them and kill them. And when they had called the apostles, look at this, and beating them, so they're not happy just taking the counsel. They're beating them. By the way, that word in the Greek is extremely uh, explicit. They whipped them 39 lashes. The, Roman, the Romans would only let you go 39, or else you'd be accused of something. They whipped all the disciples. They beat them up. They bloodied them up. And uh, basically, they could have died from that, but they beat them. Then they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. How many of you think that's going to work? Okay, so just listen. Here's what's even more amazing. The hard-hearted San, Sanhedrin agrees with him. And then they warn them for the fourth time not to speak in Jesus' name. They beat the disciples on and go, look, look what the disciples do right after they do this. Here's what the script, here's what it says right after they do. It says what the disciples' reaction is. And they, the disciples, departed from the presence of the council and immediately went out and filed a class-action lawsuit against the high priest and the entire Sanhedrin, <laughs> naming everyone except Gamaliel. They hired the best lawyers and they waited for their day in court. No? Okay, let me give you what they did. And they departed from the presence of the council, complaining that they had been unjustly beaten and spread abroad, that their rights had been abused. What's wrong with us today? What is wrong with us today? We can't endure anything, can we? So somebody goes against you and persecutes you. The disciples were beaten almost to death. They didn't hire lawyers. Come on, somebody say amen. They didn't go talk against us and them. They didn't make an issue of that. They did what God called them to do. Come on, are you with me tonight? Here's what it says. It says, They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Listen to it. They, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. We need to grow up in America as Christians. We need to realize that the enemy is going to come at us furiously. He's going to come at us in the courts. He's going to come at us in the media. He's going to come at us from the news. It doesn't matter. We need to not, to realize that we're going to be persecuted. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, They will persecute you. What makes us think that in America, somebody has to agree with us because we're Christians. They're not. Jesus said they won't agree with you. They will persecute you. So you know what you do? You don't go hire lawyers. You You don't go hog wild on it. You rejoice that you are able to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And you won't hear that preached a whole lot of places. But it's Bible. It's Bible. I'm not giving you my opinion. That's Bible. Unlike other times and in the news, I give you my opinion. Any lessons in life for us tonight? I think so. Let me give you a couple of them. People can be mean. Don't take it personally. It says nothing about you, but it says a lot about them. There are mean people out there. How many have ever met a mean person? don't look at the person next to you. How many ever met a person that's mean? (laughs) How many ever met someone that you did you can do you can do everything for them listen you can keep you can do everything for them for days and weeks and years but as soon as you don't do something for them they go against you. Listen if you give people things they get used to being given things once you shut that thing off they will hate you. People have a tendency to be extremely selfish especially in America. People can be mean don't take it personally. Listen, I want to repeat that, and I want to stay on it for a moment. We take everything personally. Someone's mean to us. We worry about it. We wonder what we did. There are some people that are going to be mean to you no matter what you do. They just don't like you. Listen, it's kind of interesting to me, and I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a pastor for a long time, and it's kind of interesting to me. I draw, when I draw men towards me, and I do draw men. Men, men come, to, come in churches, I draw them to me in one or two ways. Either they become very good friends of mine, or they hate me. (laughs) And I realize why. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with what they're doing. Uh, Listen, I've preached messages that are pretty tough sometimes. I was stopped, and I won't tell you by who, I was stopped by a a policeman in in Trustville years ago. I was stopped by a policeman. I don't even know if they're still there. I was stopped by a policeman in Trustville years ago, and he said to me, um, told me I was going too fast, which I wasn't. He told me I was going 70 around a curve, which I, my car wouldn't even do 70 around a curve. And uh, I said I wasn't. And I, and I saw him look at me, and he didn't turn his light on until he saw me. When he saw my face, he turned his light on. And so I pulled over, and he gave me a ticket. And it was a pretty steep ticket years ago. something in only me. What's going on? One of the men that worked with him in the police force, I told him about it. Not to fix the ticket. I just told him about it. He says, oh, that so-and-so, he hates you so why does he hate me because you counseled him and his wife and you let him have it I said he must have been doing something wrong if I let him have it he said well he said he hates you and I said I can't help it I've never counseled anyone except telling them the truth of God so if he hates me hates me so that counsel they didn't pay me for the counsel by the way it cost me $200 for the tickets so I want you to understand that there's gonna be some people who don't like you right off the bat and they may not like you because they're jealous of you. They may not like you because they think you're a certain way. They may, they may profile you before you ever even walk into a room. There's a lot of reasons. You may have preached something and, they, and they, they're not living it and they're trying to, trying to get away with telling somebody that they are. Trust me, there's all kinds of people that will go against you. Somebody say amen. Don't take it personally. And you know what I told that man that told me that? I said, well, you know what? I wish you would have just talked to me. Well, she just told me that to my face. I, I would pay the fine if he thinks I had to pay a fine. But he should just talk to me. I had another guy who, um, and, and you're going to think I'm a terrible driver. I'm not. These are a span of 20 years. I was at, uh, where was I? I was someplace out in town, and I, uh, I rolled a stop sign. How many of you have ever done that? Oh, I know. You've never done that, right? Come on. How many ever rolled a stop sign? Come on. All right. So I rolled a stop sign. He pulls me over, looks at my license, and says, have a good day, Pastor Crow. And I say, no, i What I need, he says. No, I can give you a warning. And I said, Would you give me a warning if I was somebody else, or would you find me? He said, I'd probably find you. I said, Well, why don't you just find me? He says, No, have a good day. This is my discretion. There are some people that will love you. They truly will. There are people that will go out of their way for you. But I'm going to say something that's going to probably sound strange coming from me and being in the South. Most people won't. Most people are very selfish. How many say amen to that? All right. Now watch. You can't change how people treat you or what they say about you. All you can do is change how you react to it. That's all you can do. So, what are they saying about the disciples? They're they're causing an insurrection. They're blasphemers. They're going against Rome. The disciples don't do a thing about it. They just go back out and do the exact same thing they've been doing. If someone has the potential in your life to change your actions, they they are doing something that you should not let them do. No one should be able to change who you are. Come on somebody say you are who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin. Don't try to be someone else. I know people, it's not here, but I know people in our family extended families and people that I see families on they're trying to they're trying to live an image. Yeah. You know, living an image, just be who you are. It's okay to be comfortable in your own skin. The disciples were comfortable in who they were. Gamaliel, Gamaliel said, Leave them alone. If it's of God, it'll, it'll, it'll happen. You can't fight against it. And if it's not, it'll come to naught. The disciples are not even listening to any of that. They're outside the room. What the disciples are doing is saying, I can't wait till they let us go. We're going to thank God that we got beaten for them. And then we're going to go right back and we're going to teach again. Because that's who we are. Who are we? Who are you? What's your passion? What do you do? Don't let anybody discourage you from that. You know, when I went into the ministry, I got to tell you this. I was the biggest tither in my church as a young man. One of the biggest. I was leading song service. I know that's hard for you to believe. I was on the board. I was, on the, uh, I was teaching a Sunday school. And I was, um, I was on the head of the committee to build the new church. And so um, I told my pastor, I've been doing Bible studies. I told my pastor, I feel called to the ministry. You know what my pastor said to me? Who I loved. He said, You're not called. And I said, no, I, I feel called. Cheryl's back there. She understands. She, she was there. He said, no, you're not called. He says, uh, you need to stay here. God's using you here. I said, no, I really feel called to the ministry. He says, no. He says, you're really not called. You're not going to get a church anyway. So I kept doing what I was doing, a little disheartened, kept doing what I was doing. Uh, his wife came and talked to me and told me, she says, my husband said that you uh, feel called to me. She says, I just want to confirm what he said. You're not called. terrible now had I listened to them you'd be here sitting with nobody in front of you tonight (laughs) you have to be who you are if you're not who you are you are untrue to yourself and the key is be true to yourself and by the way if you are who you are and you're comfortable with it you won't have an opportunity and you won't have a desire to lie because a lot of people lie because they want to be someone else they want to impress somebody. They want to say this, don't impress anyone, be who you are. There's nobody else like you on the face of the planet. There's seven billion people on the planet and nobody has your story. No one. So God made you uniquely. Don't ever try to be someone else. Come on, somebody say amen. You could take, you could take some, pe- some pieces out of someone's book and some pages of them, that's fine, but don't envy anybody else. You know, when I go into the, into the market and, uh, and I go to the, to the grocery store, a lot of times you'll see those Hollywood magazines you know, with all the different, all the people that got married for the hundredth time, and they divorced this one, and this one's got a facelift, and this one's this one. I see all these people, when they're in the, when they're in the line, I see, see people picking them up, mostly women, I see them picking them up and looking through them and going, oh, oh, I have never desired to look at anyone. You know why? You ready for this one? You ready for the egotistical statement of the day? I'm much more important than anybody in Hollywood. <laughs> hear what I said? I give myself autographs. (laughs) Don't ever lower yourself. Don't ever think someone else is better than you. Come on, somebody say amen. Oh, golly, I'm getting myself in all kinds of trouble today. Alright. So, the Bible goes on and says this. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Something's added there that wasn't there before. They're in the temple. now they're going home with people. This are the original home groups. They're going home with. Let me, let me just give you a couple conclusions tonight. 5:42 says they have been, they continue doing what they're doing, and now they're going home with people. And so it's unstoppable. Let me draw some conclusions for us tonight as we close out Acts chapter five. Number one: Gamaliel's sensitivity to what was happening and the possible dangers of blocking what God might be doing won the day. The truth is, God always wins. He always wins. Uh, Whether it's then or whether it's now, he always wins. That's one of the conclusions I want you to see. Number two, the brilliant Pharisee had saved the church without Gamaliel. Listen to it. Without the apostles, if they had been put to death, and I promise you, the apostles would have been put to death without him, the movement of the new life would have faded out. You say, no, Pastor, it probably wouldn't have. No, it probably would have. It takes someone that the boldness. It would have faded out because he said it just like Thutis and Judas of Galilee. It would have faded out. But the Lord had work for them to finish. The reason why you're alive tonight It's because God has work for you to finish. The whole idea is He wants you. The Bible says God rejoices in the death of His saints. That means that God wants us. He's happy when every one of us dies because we go to Him. He's happy. So the thing is, you have work to do. That's why you and I are still on the planet. Now, your work may not be the same as my work. Your work may be, may be reaching your family. Your work may be reaching one person. Your work may be that, you, that you, you've been blessed some way and you're helping someone. God knows why you're on this planet, but trust me, you're on this planet because of God's hand. Somebody say amen. amen. Later, when their, pa- when their part was completed and leadership was passed on to others, those disciples would face their deaths with the same obedience and courage that they displayed on that day. They never changed. But the crucial amazing thing is that the Lord stepped in and saved them from the sure death at the hands of the Sanhedrin. Thirdly, Gamaliel was used without knowing it. Or was he? Did he know? I wonder many times, and I can't prove it anywhere, the Bible talks about secret disciples among the Pharisees. I wonder if the greatest teacher among the Jews was a secret disciple of Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I get chills just thinking about it. He single-handedly, God used him single-handedly to save what we know as the church. If they would have killed those disciples, 10,000 people would have been scattered. Listen to it. Surely in his wisdom and his understanding of the word of the training he saw and felt the authority of these men. Point number four in closing. It's an amazing thing in this life of faith. The amazing surprises of God. Just when you think there's no way out. Just when you think there's no hope. Just when you think there's no answer, just when you think there's no solution to your problem, just when you think there's no solution to your situation, the Lord of life intervenes to help us. The disciples never even prayed it. We have, no, not, we have no prayers that they say, God, deliver us from this moment. God did it without them ever saying a thing. He's always on time and he's never late. God has perfect timing, never early, never late. It takes a little patience and a whole lot of faith but it's worth the wait. He always comes through. You want proof? Listen. When we are foolish, even when we are foolish, God intervenes. Do you believe that? Here's the proof for you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let me tell you how how I read that. If someone is rich, they have more than enough money so they can give it to people. How many understand that? God is rich, not, not necessarily in money here. He's rich in what? In his great love and mercy. He's rich in his great love. It means that God has more love and mercy than he possibly can handle. Now, of course he's going to handle it. But how many, ever told, how many ever said, man, that guy's got more money than he can possibly spend? God has more love than you can ever imagine. He's got more mercy than you can ever imagine. He's got more grace than you can ever imagine. That's why no matter what we do in life, no matter how much we disappoint Him, God has mercy and love and grace to, to cover it. He can get you out of... You know, some people have so much money they can get all of their family out of trouble and out of debt. So they can get... Sometimes Bill Gates can get an entire nation of Africa out of trouble if he wanted to. God has enough mercy and love He can get the entire world out of spiritual debt. He can give it whatever He wants because it never runs out. It's amazing, isn't it? And so as I close, Tonight, let me just give you a couple things. We must allow, we must always remember as we face every day and all the circumstances that life brings us, we must always remember this God's plans for your life far exceed the circumstances of your day. Let me repeat it God's plans for your life far exceed the circumstances of your day. In closing, I especially like what Abraham Lincoln said about himself and about this nation we live in. Here's what Lincoln said I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right. But it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Would you just bow your heads with me tonight and stand for a moment? I don't know about you, but I'm learning a whole lot from the book of Acts. Matter of fact, I'm getting excited quite a bit from the book of Acts. The book of Acts should revolutionize revolutionize our walk. The book of Acts should fire us up just like it fired up those first century disciples in that church. Because the book of Acts gives you a purpose for living. It gives you a passion. It makes you understand that God is your source, no one else. And it also makes you go through life not vindictive, not rendering evil for evil, not getting upset because someone said something against you, not living your life in the normal way that quote unquote that people live in the world. It puts you far above that world. It puts you in a spot where you are soaring. You, and you know what? The world watches, and they see, and they understand. And they look at your life, and they see the fruits of it. And if you live it long enough, those fruits are going to be multiplied down to your children and your grandchildren. Listen. This is life. Go speak this life. The angel told them, "This is the life. I would not want to live any other life on the planet. You don't. I don't care about about fame or success or money or whatever it is. It doesn't matter to me. I'm thankful that I live this life. Tonight, I want to pray for you. If you're home, or someplace around the world listening to YouTube, and you're having some problems, I get. I get. I get." A lot of your email comes in to me. I got one from a man the other day. He said this. He said, man, this was, that was a great teaching, but someone needs to slow that man down. That's what he said. So, I'm gonna go slow right now and tell you this. If you have a circumstance that's really been terrible in your life, maybe there's a person that just keeps gnawing at you, and maybe it's someone that you just can't get over, make a decision tonight to get over it right now. Make a decision tonight to say, that's not gonna change who I am. Because who you are is God's plan A. You are a valuable asset to God. The CIA calls them assets. They take them in from all different types of life and they use them as agents. God has taken us in from all different different paths of life. And we're his agents to reach a dead world. Don't let anybody change you. Continue to do what God's called you to do. Continue to let the Holy Spirit fire you up. Continue to remember that your circumstances do not define who you are. They just emphasize who Christ is. Tonight, let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight. If there is someone that's listening to this, Lord, I know there's lots of people, thousands listening to these YouTube videos. Lord God, I pray right now, if they're going through a trouble, Or anyone here going through trouble or circumstance and life has put them down, Lord God, and they just drag because of the problems that they have. Lord, lift them up tonight, Lord God. Let them know that they're unique, that you knew them before they were ever formed in their mother's womb. That you have a plan for them, Lord God, no matter what the enemy does, no matter how hard he blows on their house, Lord God, that you are the solid rock and you keep us stable. I'm thankful tonight, Lord God, that we can listen to. We are built on the acts of the disciples. I'm thankful, Lord God, that we are a holy house. We're the next generation. We're the next level of building, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that the world looks at us as they looked at them. Let us not look for our own rights here, Lord God. We have a right to be in heaven because Christ has died for us. And I'm thankful tonight, Lord God, for what you've done with us. Bless us tonight, Lord God. Let us remember that we are the head and we are not the tail. Bless our going out, our coming in, Lord God, our lying down, our our rising up. Lord, in Jesus' name, keep us safe. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.